and welcome back to yet another episode of Ball With Y'all, episode number three of season number three. We are so glad you chose to join us, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public Breaker, or on YouTube at BWY Productions. We are coming off of a jam-packed weekend, so suffice to say, we have a lot in today's show for you. And of course, we are just a few days away from the beginning of the college football season, so we are pretty pumped about that as well. Zach, what do you say? Let's go and get into our first segment. Let's crack it open. Let's do it. To begin, let's crack it open. I think we should hit on one of the big topics that we saw toward the end of last week when we were discussing realignment, we were discussing USC and UCLA. A big topic that came out was that the Big Ten was pulling out of their media rights negotiations with ESPN. They were looking to go toward CBS, toward NBC, and then, of course, keeping with Fox. Uh, Zach, your initial thoughts on that whole situation? Big Ten is going to separate itself and take another shot at the SEC. That's the only way I see this happening is the Big Ten is laying itself up to be a complete direct competitor with the SEC. The SEC, as we talked about before, they're off CBS at the end of this season, um, at the conclusion of the spring, and they'll be exclusively on ESPN. CBS is now jumping at the chance to go bring in a Big Ten. The Big Ten is going to be spread, now this isn't all finalized, but it's going to be spread between three networks. We have the big noon spot that's going to be on Fox, and Fox is going to be the headline provider for the Big Ten Conference. And then there also are going to be two other spots for both CBS and NBC. And what we've seen reported so far is that the Big Ten is going to be filling that 330 window on CBS. That is a great spot, I think, for the conference. They haven't really had that much of a 330 spot besides maybe the ESPN2 ABC (laughs) slot for quite some time. They've been sharing with other conferences. Now the Big Ten gets to say we have that big noon spot for a Fox, and then we also have that 330 spot on CBS. And the other aspect of this is that they're going to have a primetime spot with NBC every single week. So I think this is a great move for the Big Ten, and it also kind of lines them up to be a direct competitor to the SEC, which is tied back into UCLA and USC going there in the first place. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because this is unprecedented. This is uh, the first time since the 60s where ABC won't be routinely housing a Big Ten game, right? And, of course, some of that will will come into play as to who they're playing and where they're playing and so on. But on on the general basis, ESPN and ABC are not going to have access to the Big Ten on a regular basis for the first time in multiple decades, right? It's unprecedented, and it really speaks to, again, we've talked about it before, the driving factor of money, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, you were talking about it earlier when we were prepping for the show, talking about how much CBS had been paying for the SEC's media rights. I think it was around what fifty-five million dollars yep. every year. And the the proposed number here, what was it, upwards of three hundred and fifty million dollars a year? Yeah. So what was being reported is that CBS is is expected to pay three hundred and fifty million dollars to the Big Ten annually for media rights. Now. We're an SEC-focused podcast. Obviously, if you are an SEC fan listening to this, you have a lot of good memories of that 330 spot coming on every Saturday in the fall with the CBS intro music. Always. And I'm going to miss it. I think CBS is going to miss it, too. Let's look at some of the numbers that you just mentioned here. $55 million got them the number one pick for Game of the Week for the last however many years. Over a decade. Over a decade. Probably almost close to two decades, honestly, for that 330 spot for CBS. They're now paying $350 million for a second or third tier (laughs) game 
per week. Now, obviously, they're going to have basketball on there as well, and you know that's obviously taking the whole of the basketball side of things for the SEC that they're losing as well too. But that's a substantial amount of money more yeah. than what they were paying for the number one conference for the number one game in that conference every single week for as many years as they've had. Well, and that's really the interesting component about it because I can imagine when the SEC was was working through their deal with ESPN, the ten year deal, the three plus billion dollar deal. Uh, that the idea that you know ESPN liked having that exclusivity of knowing that they'll have the best games on their network and specifically that best game. Right now, obviously the, the SEC network's out there and so on, but the best CBS game, the best SEC game is not on ESPN every week right. in, in any way, shape, or form. Right. And ultimately, <clears throat> CBS probably understood that they weren't necessarily, if they were to stay with the SEC in any way, shape, or form that they were not going to be able to keep that top slot every week, right? And ultimately, from the Big Ten lens, I would imagine Fox would get first pick. Exactly. So as it was reported, it looks like Fox is going to have the headline package, and then both CBS and NBC are going to split what they're calling the B-tier package, which is going to have the CBS at 330 spot and then the NBC primetime spot. But the thing we were discussing before the show, just going over our notes about all this, is the fact that... CBS has essentially traded the number one game of the week in the country, usually, because the number one SEC game is usually one of the top ones. So, you know, they're trading Alabama LSU for literally like Nebraska Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. And they were had a, at, a, at a premium. Yes. At a bargain. They were getting <laughs> AM versus LSU, Bama versus Tennessee. I mean, and they, they could have. The the amount that ESPN is paying for it, mm-hmm. what is it north of three billion? Uh, uh, north, yeah, north of three billion. Okay, so that breaks down to what about an average of three hundred million a season. Yep. They have all the SEC games for that amount, and CBS is paying three hundred and fifty fifty million more a year for a secondary or third tier Big Ten game. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, again, we talked about it earlier when we were talking about USC and UCLA. There is value associated with the Big Ten. That's undeniable. But it seems absolutely insane to, to that for the, from, the CBS, from CBS's lens to go that route, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other side of it, um, from a competitiveness standpoint as far as the different markets and different, different games. So you mentioned NBC is going to have a primetime slot. Well, who else will have a primetime slot? Of course, ABC. Mm-hmm. So... How is that going to work out from a from a visibility standpoint? And it goes back to you were talking about competing with the Big Ten, the SEC, doing that and so on. It'll be interesting to see how those two different games match up, right? Yep. And and how those two how they're marketed and how ultimately it impacts the directions of those two different conferences. Because ultimately, it seems like the SEC is in a better position having that exclusivity right now. Whereas the Big Ten's kind of be all over the place. You're not going to know which network we're, which network you're on, or or whether you, I mean, will the Big Ten network still exist? Like, there's a lot of questions yeah. that remain. You know, that's true. Yeah, I mean, Big Ten network was kind of put together by Fox. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine they'd keep that around, but I mean, to your point though, it is going to be stre- stretched pretty thin. I think the one thing that they have going for them is that most Saturdays in the fall, if you walk into a sports bar, they're going to have CBS, NBC, and Fox on. So throughout the day, you're going to be guaranteed you're going to have people looking at your game. If I am the Big Ten, I'm making sure that I have either Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, Nebraska locked into one of those spots every single week to get those markets because those are your that's your bread and butter if you're the Big Ten. 
when they get in the USC and UCLA's of the world, though, and that's supposed to be what in twenty twenty five. I believe so. Yeah. Right, exactly. So that will make that spot far more attractive too. When you have a USC versus a Michigan at eight o'clock, a UCLA Ohio State game at three thirty, and then backing up the noon spot, hey, Michigan State Penn State, that'll work out well. But until then, they're going to be kind of stretched thin, I think, a little bit, getting to that primetime window and making sure those games are actually good. Well, and I think this opens up a broader point about the the absolute ignorance associated with the big noon kickoff. The fact that their main game, their top-tier game is at noon on Fox. I mean, especially now, if you keep in mind, you're bringing in the USC and UCLA, their fans are going to have to get, wake up at 9 o'clock in the morning to watch one of their key rivals play yes. a game, right? Yes. Because it'll, it'll impact their lives. I just, I do not agree with the big new kickoff being the most prominent game for your, for your conference. But if that's the direction they want to go, fine. I just, I don't understand it. Realistically speaking, the only conferences that could make that time slot work would be the SEC and the ACC, mm-hmm. honestly, just based on uh, geographics of it all. But yeah, I mean, that makes no sense at all. And you talk about waking up at 9 a.m. to watch the game. What about when they want to go to the game and mm-hmm. USC is the prime time is the prime time, the main game of the week that Fox gets first pick on, and they say, "Well, I want to have that game on my network, and I don't care. It's going to be at noon." Well, okay. Broader question: uh, Would USC ever get or UCLA get ever get chosen for the Fox game? Probably. If I'm Fox and I have the opportunity to have USC versus Ohio State, I'm going to pick that game my priority, and I don't care if those kids have to wake up at five a.m. I'm putting that on my network. That is absolutely awful. Oh, it's so I bad. I not considered that right before this moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're laying the groundwork for that right now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, ultimately, it, it's it's such an interesting situation because it also impacts folks well beyond the Big Ten, right? The obvious one is Notre Dame. How does this impact Notre Dame? Yep. Um, I tend to think that from, a, from an exclusivity standpoint, obviously this hurts Notre Dame, or it could hurt Notre Dame, uh, do they lose their broadcast partner here? Of course, they've had NBC in their back pocket since the early 90s in some way, shape, or form. Of course, they get multiple primetime games every season. Well, now we know that NBC will be broadcasting a primetime game that exclusive from or, or separate from Notre Dame as part of this deal. How do you think that impacts Notre Dame? Well, I'm not sure how much Notre Dame's looking at this. I think somebody that is looking at this very strongly, and if they're not, they should be, is the ACC. Mm. They need to be looking at this and saying, hey, you know your one chip you were playing against us about how you have your own network? It's not your own network anymore. You're going to be sharing it with 16 other schools eventually for that time slot. And if you're NBC too, don't forget, they have NASCAR rights for quite some time still. Um, And that Saturday afternoon slot is a lot of Xfinity races, the Bristol night race, that's a Saturday night race in that time of the year, too. So now they're going to be juggling. And if, honestly, I know Notre Dame's a big brand, but the Big Ten's a bigger brand. It has far bigger reach, almost, I'd say. So if I'm Notre Dame and I'm the ACC, I'm getting together right now saying, what kind of package could you put together for me that would guarantee we'd have X amount of time slots in prime time like NBC's given us right now, too? Yeah. And, and then the other interesting aspect of that Notre Dame situation, uh, Notre Dame's deal goes through 2023, I believe? Or was it 2025? 2025. And then the Big Ten's deal with ESPN expires in 23. Right. So, realistically speaking, Notre Dame would have to sit through two seasons 
of maybe getting kicked around by NBC because mm-hmm. they want their primetime slot. And then I would wonder, does Notre Dame get pushed to USA Network? Do they get pushed exclusively to Peacock? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it would make you wonder, would that encourage Notre Dame to look closer at joining the Big Ten? It definitely could. Um, I think also, too, again, you're going to have to look into revenue sharing. Mm. Like we talked about the other night, because that's going to put them at 17. They're not going to have an uneven amount of teams in that conference. So now you're looking at 18. And at that point, is that too many bites out of the pie? The ACC is the perfect fit for the Big Ten, or for the for Notre Dame. There are 14 teams. They can bring them in, go grab somebody else, be at 16. Give them those time slots they want because the ACC is struggling right now to find prime time games. And let's talk about what we talked about the first episode. Conferences that make the college football playoff make money for the rest of the conference. Mm-hmm. Guess who's not in a conference right now? <laughs> Notre Dame. So they could be the 15th member of a, of a conference and as opposed to a 17th. Have probably their pick of the litter, honestly, in primetime slots. And be making more money being a conference member with members of that conference getting into the college football playoff, which Notre Dame would also probably help them qualify for as they're such a quality team every year. And and not to get too far down the Notre Dame realignment rabbit hole, but I do think, you know, when we heard Kevin Warren at Big Ten Media Days say that a Notre Dame and that type of program would be the only type of program they would consider because of the value that, that it comes with it, Everybody knows the value that comes with Notre Dame's brand. Mm -hmm. And obviously, NBC values them. But to your point, now might be the time for the ACC ACC to say, like, hey, we we really, really, really value just a little bit more than we did before because they understand the value that they can bring to to the conference moving forward. Yeah. And ultimately, you know... That's always been the interesting thing about Notre Dame, though, because they, they're only exclusive of football. They're anomaly. They are. <laughs> I don't understand why they do what they do, but I get it, right? Especially having that, that exclusivity with mm-hmm. NBC throughout the past, I don't know, 20-plus years, 30-plus years. Yeah. 30, wow. Yeah. I think that's what also has helped them build that brand, though, is you know what network Notre Dame games are always on. Mm-hmm. That 2.30 NBC slot. It's different. No one else starts at 2.30. No? Nobody else is on the same network every single game of the season. Well, and then the flip side of it, though, is, and I, and I, I briefly mentioned Peacock, uh, I know of some Notre Dame fans that were pretty perturbed last year when their games got pushed to Peacock, right? Yeah. You you have this exclusive deal, and you expect to be able to see your team on, I mean, really network television, but honestly, if it can be cable too, for that matter, and you get pushed to a streaming service that nobody knows how to navigate because of the first season they're doing it. I can imagine that that ruffled some feathers, no pun intended, with the Notre Dame folks. And I, I have to wonder if that is going to play a, play a role in this situation as well. I think so. And I mean, the ACC is going to have a better infrastructure, I think, too, for streaming capabilities, too. Um, I mean, being in the ACC also will get you on ESPN, which is kind of important mm-hmm. for, I think, a team to be... If you're not in the Big Ten, obviously, you want to be on the ESPN uh, family of networks. So, also, too, if I'm ESPN, I'm pushing the ACC to go get Notre Dame. Yeah. Because if you have Notre Dame and the SEC exclusively on your networks and your ESPN, no one's touching you. It doesn't matter what the Big Ten does. It doesn't matter what the Pac-12 does or the Big 12, for that matter. You win forever. That's it. Like, game over. Take your ball. Go home. So, if I, like I said, if I'm a, the ACC, if I'm ESPN, I'm getting all my monies together right now and going straight at Notre Dame. 
I mean, well, okay, let's flip it to you, Sean. What would you do if you're Notre Dame? What, do you have a preference here? I think the ACC makes almost too much sense. Thank you. And it's not, I mean, <laughs> you said it already. Like, it's, it's the, the, the groundwork is already there, right? And you already have, you're, you will be the most valuable team in your conference by far. You will push Clemson aside. You will push Florida State aside. You will be the most valuable brand in that conference. And that's hard to pass up. Yeah. You don't see that anywhere else right now. No. And the ACC network needs them. Yeah. The ESPN needs them. ABC needs them. The ACC needs them. Miami, Florida State, Clemson. Those schools need Notre Dame in their conference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The top is very heavy and the bottom is very light. Yeah, so is the middle and everything else after the top. It's not very it's not very balanced right now. Yeah. But I think the Notre Dame option, if they go to the ACC, that puts them in a strong third position, I think, in the country. And almost to the level of the Big Ten, I would say, too, if they're able to pull them in, which they just have to do. That, that has to happen. And and to put a bow on, on this conversation, I think it uh, is really interesting from a fan standpoint. You mentioned streaming, right, and, mm-hmm. and like watching on different networks. Um, the ACC and the SEC are about to be the only two conferences that I can think of that are exclusively on one network. Yep. Uh, if I'm a Big Ten fan, if I support a Big Ten program, I might have to have upwards of two or three different streaming platforms available to watch my team or watch other teams in my conference. Whereas if I am an ACC supporter, an SEC fan like ourselves, all I have to have is the ESPN app. Yep. And I can watch everything. And that's the most accessible app for any fan, too. If you're an, a Big Ten fan, you're going to have to have a Fox Sports Live app you're going to have to have a Peacock account and a Paramount Plus account mm-hmm. to watch games on CBS. No. No. Don't like that. No one's going to want to do that. No. And ultimately... I just want to watch football. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and like, not to get too far down the rabbit hole, but ultimately, we know that cord cutting is happening, that people are moving towards streaming platforms, but if we can make it easier for fans, like the SEC and like the ACC are doing, that's going to be preferred. 100%. So... We'll see how that unfolds, but uh, suffice to say, there's going to be a lot that should take place in the next uh, few months and years on that front. Now let's pass it over to our next segment, NASCAR, one to go. White flag, So I feel like I'm a broken record because a week ago I said Kevin Harvick won, and Kevin Harvick won again. He did. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I gotta say. He's on to something. Yeah, I mean, he decided to take a 65 race break. And then was like, yeah, that was pretty fun now that I did that again. I think I'm going to do it again. And we're two in a row. Uh, First person this season to go back-to-back, by the way. Yes. How crazy is that? First time since Kyle Larson last fall when he won at Kansas and Texas in the playoffs. And he won like 10 races in a row. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was great. Did like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Kevin Harvick. I think... Man, they are on a roll. They figured something out. All the Ford camp, though, figured something out today. There was a point where it was at like seven of the top nine. Mm-hmm. You had guys like Harvick up there. Blaney surprisingly ran really well. Outperformed, I think, what he thought he could do there today. Busher was a threat. Logano dominated the race. Almirola was up there. Almirola. And you had Busher and Keselowski, too, running up there for a better part of the day. Busher. Obviously, almost brought home the win, and Kozlowski was a solid top 10 car all day. I mean, heck, Cole Custer was up there. <laughs> Cole Custer. Briscoe was up there before he caught on fire. I mean, yeah, I think uh, the Fords really have figured something out at Richmond. I think they wish they probably could go back there every single week. But, yeah, Kevin Harvick, I don't know how this is happening. It's it's ridiculous. The fact the thing that you could go from 
a 65 race winless streak, no hope outside the playoffs, and in the span of eight days, all of a sudden you are the seventh. The, you were in the seventh spot in the playoff standings yeah. and firmly entrenched in the playoff standings. Yeah, and I think a threat. Yeah. I think if you're making a list of guys that can make the Final Four, he's on there. And it's probably a list of like seven, eight, nine guys at this point that have a realistic shot. I saw somebody on Reddit say that he's this year's Ryan Blaney. He gets really hot before the playoffs, kind of mm. coasts into the round of eight. I could see that happening. I mean, him and Rodney Childers figured something out. Uh, about, I'd say, a month ago, and they've been bringing it to the track every week, and they're not cheating. Yeah. That's the other crazy thing. It's really remarkable. They are winning and keeping the trophy. It's not like the Toyotas, apparently. No, not at all. Well, and and the really interesting thing about it, too, is, to your point, he's been he's been strong a lot lately, even when the Fords have not been strong, right? When Almirola has been crumbling, when his teammates Briscoe and Custer have been nowhere to be seen, right? When when Brad Keselowski and his, and his teammate Chris Buescher are back there in the middle of the pack, Kevin Harvick's been up there. He was up there at Pocono before a late wreck, right? He did moderately well. For, I mean, for all, not, nobody did great, but it, it, he was okay. He was fine. He was running top 15 when he got wrecked. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, And ultimately, he's had a lot of speed. He's been kind of like a Bubba Wallace in the sense that he's been at the, at the cusp a lot lately. But he's actually been converting when given the opportunity to. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a really interesting position that we find ourselves in, though. Now we go into the last two weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, all chaos can still be let loose. Absolutely. Um, circling back to our last episode, your prediction... I was really close. Almost nailed it right there. <laughs> I, was, I was about maybe a lap short. I think, yeah. I think another lap in your prediction of Christopher Bell winning comes true. Uh, my prediction did not happen today. Ah, uh, yeah. I really thought Martin Truex Jr. was about to step up and go win that thing. Didn't even come close. Not even like a sniff of the top five like all day. Yeah, and honestly, stage two was awful for him. He was mm-hmm. sliding back, and I, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, honestly, well, he survived a couple different incidents, yeah. right? Uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. forgot how to pit. Yep. Didn't know how to pit. <laughs> Just didn't know how to pit. Turned right in the truck's <laughs> door. And I don't know how Truex didn't come out of that with a flat tire or something. Uh, me think me either. And then, of course, there was the other moment uh, toward uh, the other, I guess it was maybe, was it stage two when... when uh, when Kyle Busch and uh, and Chastain got into each other, and uh, yeah. and Truex got a bit of that as well. Yep, he skated through that one okay, um, for the most part. But he had a very up and down day. Beat Ryan Blaney to the checkered flag, but didn't beat him in some of the stages. So for the most part, Ryan Blaney wins the day. Honestly, I missed that part of my prediction too. That I thought Truex, if he didn't win the race, would at least be closing up the gap. Mm-hmm. He lost seven points to him today, yep. and now he's got two races to make up twenty six points. If there's not a new winner, which could very well happen. But, I mean, it, it just ceases to amaze me how little he seems to care. Yeah. I don't see this, like, fire, like, this, like, panic in his eyes. You are Martin Tricks. You're a top four or five car every single week consistently. You may not make the playoffs. Yeah. Fourth in points. Fourth in points. May not make the playoffs. Ryan Blaney surprised me today, honestly. This is his statistically worst track, and he showed up, ran well, and finished inside the top 10 and kept Martin Truex in his sights either in the mirror or in the windshield all day, which is exactly what he needed to do, and extended the points lead over him. And a great day for his pit team as well. I mean, it's one of those situations where you cannot afford a mistake, right? We saw a mistake from Denny Hamlin's team, right? We saw a few other mistakes across the board today, and... 
just a couple seconds here or there can change the direction of the race. And we saw Blaney's team execute exactly how they needed to when they needed to do it. Oh, yeah. And that was a big shot in the arm, I think, for Blaney. Giving him the momentum to go into Watkins Glen. Not another good track for him. <laughs> Great track for Truex, though. I'm sensing a trend here. Um, before they go to Daytona. Again, we almost had a 16th winner. Yep. Which, you want to talk about the playoff battle. That would have absolutely just been like, okay, it's now just a nuclear wasteland of chaos and craziness. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. cost us a new winner. Potentially. Yeah, yeah. potentially. If, if Busher gets through that lap traffic a little bit better... He gets around Harvick, and who's to say what clean air does for him? He might be set in sail. Um, but overall, I thought the race was mildly interesting this week. I think Richmond has now just turned into a strategy track where you're going to have guys doing either two stops, one stop, or three stops in the last stage. Um, but looking ahead, though, your boy, Chase Elliott. Mm-hmm. He was close. Almost. I, I was really, really happy until I wasn't. <laughs> I, I think I think he now needs to finish 33rd or better this week, and he'll clinch the regular season championship. Yeah, which I think is reasonable. Yes. at a road course, I think it's reasonable to think that Chase could finish 33rd or better. I would agree. So, and he's going to win the regular season championship. Let's just let's just book that now. Just I will bet 15 points associated with that. Yes, 15 bonus points to start the playoffs, which will go along with his 25 playoff points he already has to give him a total of 40. <sighs> That's which nice. is a really good start, <laughs> honestly. And a lot better than he's had in the, in the past, where he's still advanced to the championship four in round of eight. Um, so he's in great shape. The guy that's been on his tail all year, Ross Chastain, went out there, dominates stage one, mm-hmm. falls like a rock. Mm-hmm. Can't stay out of trouble again. This is going to pain me to the end of time. Can he make it through a race, please? Without hitting a Gibbs car. And we talked about it on Wednesday. I said, what did I say? I said, he's hit everyone but Kyle Busch. And what did you say? I said, uh, I don't remember what I said. Kyle Busch, beware. Oh, yeah. 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 What happened? Got into him. (laughs) Got into him. (laughs) And then Kyle Busch made the comment in his post-race interview. That he got chastained. He got chastained. I don't personally think that he, that was any intentional there, any malice. Not really bad driving. They're three wide going into a short track turn three. Kyle comes down, Ross goes up a little bit, they make contact. But again, he is just painting the target. The target's off his back now. It's just like, it's wrapped around like a cape. Mm -hmm. He is just, he's ruined every Gibbs guy at least once this year. And And you got to feel like they're not going to, they're not going to run him any better than they've been run. So, especially Kyle Bush. No, definitely not. You're not going to get space. No. Every corner will be will be tough. Oh, yeah. And and the laundry list is just getting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it, uh, we talked about Blaney possibly getting into the playoffs. If he does somehow get into the playoffs, which is looking relatively likely, but we'll see, he's in second place right now in points. So he'll get 10 bonus points for just being in that spot. Yeah. So he'll, he'll skyrocket from the brink of... Of, of elimination to being up there with all the regulars right alongside Kevin Harvick and so on. Yeah. And and Chastain, if only he'd been able to execute lately, he might actually get those 10 bonus mm-hmm. points. Right? He's going to land in the top five regular season points, but he could have very easily been in that second spot and gotten those 10 extra points. And he just can't finish races right now. I mean, it's every week he's got speed and he throws away top fives, top tens by going for wins almost, you want to call it that. And throws himself back into the 20s. His last win, April? Yes. At Talladega? Yep. Wow. And he was hot all summer, but he was, you know, top five, top five, top five, top five, which is great. 
And, you know, the stage win helps today. As a Chastain fan, I thought, when I saw where he qualified, I said, okay, if we can get a stage win out of this, I'll consider this a good race. And as long as you just are smooth. Bring him, to, bring him a top 10. The car's got speed. He didn't do it. So, you know, for me, as a Chastain fan, I'm just increasingly getting worried every single week that he doesn't have the speed to compete and finish these races. And that's what you have to have in the playoffs. As we've seen, these races turn into war zones in the playoffs. Guys that don't wreck, wreck. Guys that run well, all of a sudden they can't find it because everyone's stepped their game up. And now Chastain is falling behind, and he's got guys that are just adding him to their hit list. And it kind of reminds me, I know we've talked a little bit about William Byron before, Mm -hmm. someone who was strong (laughs) early on and has since faded hard. And uh, William Byron, another guy who he was, I think, fourth, qualified fourth uh, this week. And nowhere to be seen. No, no, no. And and it's it's very concerning. I have to imagine it's very concerning for his fans as well to think that at one point in time he was the championship favorite. At one point in time, Ross Chastain was Chastain was the championship favorite, and now it's kind of mired in the middle. Yeah, ironically, um, they both haven't won since April. Yeah. So I mean, when you look back at that, Byron and Chastain both had two wins in April, mm-hmm. but at the end of April, both those guys had two wins. Byron hasn't had a top 10. I don't even want to look that up. <laughs> he has just like fallen off the map. I don't know what changed. And then Chastain, running up top, running at the front every single week, finishes mid-pack. Can't have it. Won't work. Won't advance past the round of 12 with that kind of finish. And he, they got to figure something out soon. Speaking of top 10, though, one streak that ended this week was Kyle Busch's eight-race streak of not finishing in the top 10. You're welcome. Yes, it's so great. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think he'd get there. No. <laughs> I, um, I, you know, t- but you brought up something in the in the in the pre-show discussion we had uh, about Kyle Busch's history over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, care to share some of that here? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's won four races since he won the championship race in 2019. So that is 2020, 2021, 2022. He's won four races. One of those was a fuel mileage race at Pocono last year. Mm-hmm. And then another one, he was running third in the top two clean each other out in the Bristol Dirt Race this year. Yeah. That is scary. Is it concerning if you are a Kyle Busch fan? Yes. You can't win the championship and not win races. Do you think it's impacting his discussions with Gibbs right now? I would say, I mean, to some extent, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's Kyle Busch. You want Kyle Busch on your team. But you also want the Kyle Busch that was winning five, six, seven races a year for the better part of the last half decade. Not the Kyle Busch that's won four races in three seasons almost. You have to imagine, too, it's incredibly embarrassing being being run so tightly or so tight against against Ty Gibbs, mm-hmm. which could be his successor for all we know. Yeah. And they're right alongside of each other, and he cannot shake the guy. No. Well, it's not that embarrassing if you're Ty Gibbs because uh, that's my car next year. So that guy's just keeping my seat warm. Exactly. <laughs> but for, for Kyle Busch, you're what, like 20 years a senior? And mm-hmm. and and he's he's outrunning you. Yeah. And honestly, Ty Gibbs probably would have finished better if his car hadn't blown up. Probably. He was outrunning them when they were racing together, for sure. And, I mean, yeah. It, we heard a little bit more about that discussion this week where Kyle Busch said, you know, the truck team is a big discussion part. Obviously, Toyota's pumped a lot of money into that truck team over the years. That's a huge part of their development. So I think, honestly, that might be the biggest chip he can play because Toyota does not have a, a strong truck pipeline right now. They have Cowboys Motorsports, which is one of the best teams in that garage. But he's in... I mean, again, it's another week. We don't know anything new. 
sponsorship is not popping up out of nowhere anymore. I mean, a lot of these deals that are signed for next year that are big money ones have those contracts already inked. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where he's going. Obviously, we've heard a lot of Stuart Haas and Collig and whatnot, but Ty Gibbs should be in that car for a multitude of reasons, and it can't feel good getting passed by him. No, and especially with a guy like Noah Gragson getting moved up and Ty Gibbs not, like that mm-hmm. does not make sense. No. And Noah Gragson's great. Ty Gibbs is somehow better, though. Oh, yeah. By Guaranteed. a lot. And we've seen him outrun Gragson in Cup, too. Obviously, Gra- uh, Gragson hasn't had the kind of top-tier stuff that Gibbs has had. But for the most part, I mean, Ty Gibbs is just, he's, he's consistent. He's not had any incidents on track. Mm-hmm. In four races, which says a lot, especially this year in the Cup Series. And if I'm Kyle Busch, it's just another week. I didn't win. I didn't really show my strength as a driver. I got wrecked, and I don't have a contract. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't he qualify, like, 30th or something ridiculous? He was was in the the mid-20s, early 30s, yeah. It's it's a disaster, to say the least. Mm But uh, to put a bow on this segment, Zach, any additional thoughts as we we go into the last two weeks of uh, of the race for the playoffs? No, I mean, we kind of just kind of touched on this in the middle of the week, too. I mean, no new winners. Points battle is still kind of the same. Truex has to bite off some of that this week. And if I'm Blaney, obviously things to look ahead for, which we'll talk about uh, middle of the week. But how those stages unfold. Mm -hmm. We know what they look like on road courses where guys pit before Mm -hmm. the caution comes out. What do you do? If you're Truex and you're running second and third, do you give up stage points to put yourself in a position to win? And let Blaney get those stage points and extend it? Or vice versa, if you're Blaney, do you pit? Do you stay out? Do you get the points? Do you chase the win? A lot of things can happen, and that's why I'm really excited that Watkins Glen is that race before the cutoff, as it's been the the latest point in the season it's been run uh, for the better part of 20 years, which I think is just going to up the ante of that race. That's a great point. I didn't consider the, the, the stage strategy. So we'll see how that unfolds, of course. We will give you our picks for Watkins Glen in uh, just a few days on our Friday show. And that'll do it for the Monday edition of our show this week. We are so grateful you chose to spend just a little bit of your Monday morning, afternoon, or evening with us. Of course, encourage you to check us out on all the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And as we are just 13 days away from the beginning, I guess 12 days now, yeah, for the beginning of the college football season, We are so excited to begin actually talking some ball with y'all. Catch y'all Friday.